Welcome to Season 3, Episode 11 of Grace or Grit. This is a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. My usual co-host, Patrick Reed, has meetings today over in the Gambia, so he is unavailable. So I'm flying solo on this recording. Never fear, though, I do have a guest today. In the past, we've had one of our biggest fans. I guess you can call him a fan. He's a listener anyway. Uh, we've had uh, him on Danny Smith. We, uh, we label him our uh, listener number one. He's been on as a guest, and uh, we had him uh, actually talk in season two. It was episode 25, an episode entitled, We Need to Wake Up. And that was a conversation about revival. Today, we have his wife, Nicole, here with us. Nicole, welcome to Grace or Grit. Glad to be here. How are you? Good. Rejuvenated. We had a long trip, so. Rejuvenated? Yes. Had some rest today. Feel good. All right. Well, I'm glad it was uh, you headed down. Was it Florida, right? That's where you were? Yes, to the Keys. Yeah, well, I'm glad it was you and not me, so. (laughs) Oh, it was fun. I'm sure it was. Well, Nicole, I'm sure uh, some of our listeners know Danny, and some may even remember a little bit about his story, Um, but they probably haven't heard your angle, even the ones who who know you and Danny. Um, You know, Danny's such a big talker, he never gives you a chance to speak. So they might not have heard your, your side. So tell us about yourself. You're a wife and mother, I know. What else should our listeners know about you? How do you define Nicole Smith? Well, yes, I am a wife. We've been married almost 22 years and a mother. I have four and we homeschool all four. And I have a lot of hobbies. I refinish furniture and sell it in a shop. I'm a baker. I do cakes and cookies and pies and pastries. Um, I used to do that as a business, but I have kind of let that go and I only do it for fun now because uh, I'm just busy with all the other things, prayer groups and grace groups and kids that it just was too much to keep it going as a business. Um, how do I describe myself? So this one was really hard. I was looking at that last night and I was talking to shall read about that. And she says, to me, you are an investigator. And I said, okay, that's odd. But what she said made absolute sense to me. And it really did describe me on a whole. Um, She said, I investigate the truth of the word, which is absolutely true. I love digging into scriptures and finding biblical truths and incorporating them into our lives. I investigate people just anytime anyone needs help with anything or finding information. I'm I'm their go-to person on doing that. Um, I'm an activist. So there's a lot of investigation research that goes into the things that that I am involved in um, with my activism. And I, I'm involved in the birthing community 
and I'm involved in the um, ex-vaxxing community. So you've got a, a lot of distinguished traits. Uh, you're definitely our first uh, self-acclaimed activist on the podcast. And uh, we did have one guy who talked about vaccine. I don't know if he was an anti-vaxxer, but he definitely was uh, uh, a little more hesitant than some people I know. I think he, from what I remember listening to, he uh, erred more on the side of caution, mm. but um, did not proclaim anti-vax. Right. I don't claim anti-vax. I am an ex-vaxxer, which means okay. we did vaccinate at some point. Um, and then through years and re- years of research, we decided it was no longer for us. Right. Um, and so I, my motto is, educate before you vaccinate. So know what you're doing, know the ingredients, know how it's going to, what it can do to your body, that sort of thing. So like I said, I'm very involved in that community. So. Well, you need to send Joe Rogan an email and tell him you're, uh, you're willing to be a guest on his podcast. He he has lots of controversial guests. So (laughs) that's what I hear. All right. Well, that's awesome. Why don't you take a few minutes and tell us your story, uh, including and especially the testimony of your faith in Christ? Um, So I I grew up in Baltimore City. Um, My mother, the whole family, um, all the way down to three generations of great grandparents grew up in Baltimore City. And uh, for the most part, I grew up in a... um, with a, my, my mother, my sister, and I, just the three of us. Um, I think I was telling you this last week, I've always felt very drawn to be at church. I remember, um, actually, I was thinking about this. The very first time my mother took me to church was at a vacation Bible school when I was six years old. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need more of this. And I would beg her to take me to church. So if the doors were open and there was some sort of youth event, I was there. I just had to be there. Um, I went to uh, the, the local Salvation Army Church. And then we were over at, um, it's called Lake, uh, Lee Street Baptist Church over um, in South Baltimore is where I uh, predominantly went. And uh, just after we moved out of the city, still I was like, no matter where we were, I, I told her we have to find a church. I need it to be a church. I had never been to camp before. And so a church that I started attending with a friend of mine was having a camp. And it was at... Carson Newman Baptist College in Tennessee. And it was called um, Centrifuge through Lifeway. And I wanted to go. So I was sponsored by someone in the church to go. And I went. And it was just an awesome week. Just thinking about that first time at camp and how the Holy Spirit moved in me just still makes me like a little weepy. But I remember during one of the invitations, the worship song was shout to the Lord. 
and they, we were singing that during the invitation and I was sobbing, just sobbing. And I felt this breeze come across me. It actually blew my hair from my face and my tears were literally wiped from my face. And I couldn't get to the front fast enough. And I found someone up front to pray with me and I accepted Christ right there. And just, I knew like that the Holy spirit, my whole life has just been calling me, calling me to him. And, um, I got back, went to my pastor and said, I need to be baptized now. And I was baptized the following week. And, uh, just that I was 14 at that time. I was 14 years old. And just, I stayed, I grew up in that church from 14 to when uh, we got married in 2000. That's where I attended and was very active in all their youth groups um, and Bible studies. And then as I got into college age, I was part of their college and careers group where I was grounded and surrounded with uh, godly people of my age. And it was just really an, an amazing time in my life that just helped me grow in my faith. And I also had a lady, um, her name is Sandy Bond, and I still speak to her now today, who was an amazing woman of God. who really mentored me and showed me what, it, what it, a woman of God looks like. And God was preparing you to be an evangelist's wife, right? Apparently. And I say God has a sense of humor because... Danny teased one time early in our marriage that he was going to follow in his father's footsteps and his father's a preacher. And I said, I am not a preacher's wife. <laughs> and uh, here I am. <laughs> so I'm like, you're funny. You're funny, God. You're funny. Yeah, I just read that again this morning. I've read it so many times in my life. If you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. I think Shell posted that. Well, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ever say you're not going to do something because he's like, okay. Yep. Anyway, well, well, thank you for uh, sharing your testimony. I've chosen our to as our topic today, uh, the, fa the father of the fatherless, the father of the fatherless. And um, I've chosen that topic because of the nature of your life and the story of your life. Um why don't you tell us, uh, because you and I were sitting at the table with several other people, all of them had been on the podcast. And I said, hey, Nicole, you're the only one that hasn't been on the podcast. You know, what's your story? What's the distinguishing characteristic of your life that we could uh, we could accentuate and maybe be a blessing to somebody? And uh, you begin to tell me about how you grew up without a father. So why don't you tell me that that angle of your story? Well, <clears throat> My father, my, my biological father was never a part of my life. Um, he and my mother had a very short relationship. And um, when, after she found out that she was pregnant with me, he tried to hit her. Um, and she had grown up in a very abusive home. So she was not um, going to accept that. So they they split and he was bitter so he rejected me anything to do with me um i knew his name um i had aunts and uncle you know um some aunts and an uncle that would come and visit me 
but I never had anything to do with my father. I had never spoken to him. I had never even seen him. I could have met him on the street and not known who he was. Um, my mother had remarried when I was about a year old. Um, that is my sister's father. But he just, I don't know, he just maybe didn't know how to be a father, but he was, he was there, but just not really involved. It was always my mom. You know, my mom did the school projects with me. My mom did all the activities with us. We went on walks growing up in the city, you know, just easy to just go exploring and walking. We did that all together, but just me, my mom, and my sister. They divorced when I was nine. Um, and after they divorced, I was kind of an afterthought. Everything was about my sister. Um, that could, you know, that kind of had me upset for a little while, but I don't know. It didn't bother me, I guess, as much as it would have maybe bothered someone else. Um, and I can't explain why, because as a child then, I didn't know the Lord, um, but I didn't have, you know, any hatred toward him or even my real father. Just, I don't know, I wasn't like fully really affected by that. In a way, I was glad when he left because our house was so dysfunctional. There was so much fighting and abuse um, that I was glad when he left. Um, so I didn't, I feel like I was really missing anything at that point. Um, and then it was just my mother and my sister and I for years. Um, and I was okay with that. Um, it wasn't that lifestyle, you know, a fatherless homes growing up in the city. It just wasn't uncommon. Mm -hmm. so I didn't feel like I didn't fit in with my peers or anything like that because it was just very common. Children lived with one parent or the other or grandparents and even aunts and uncles. Um, there was even a, a girl that came to live with us when she was 13 because her house was so dysfunctional. She moved out, moved in with us, and my mom raised her. So I call her my adopted sister when she's, you know, not technically, um, was never technically adopted, but she grew up with me like a sister. So it just wasn't uncommon growing up in that environment um, for that lifestyle. My mom remarried again when I was 12, 13. And, uh, my step that my stepfather, his name was Phil. He just recently passed away, but he um, he was a hard man, and he had no idea how to raise little girls. He had raised three boys, and he was like teenage girls. That was out of his realm. <laughs> he had no idea what to do with us. Right. And I felt a sense of him at first. It took me a few years, but um, of him breaking up my family in a way because now I had to share my mom I had to share that attention and here was this another person telling me what to do um and bossing me around um I didn't like that very much <laughs> right <laughs> you know I mean 
someone comes in when you're 13 years old and tries to be that father figure, um, but more of an authoritarian um, than anything else, I rejected. I rejected for a long time. It just feels like an imposter and an intruder. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Now, I did grow to have a very close relationship with him. Um, And I know that he loved me the only way he could. Um, It wasn't that hugging, I love you. Like he never even said, I love you to me until I was an adult, actually. Um, But I knew it. I knew if I ever needed him, he would be there. Like, without a doubt. Um, But, you know, it wasn't the same. Like I... I would see some of my friends that had their dads and they were the daddy's girl. And I always wanted to be a daddy's girl. And I never had that. But when I accepted Christ and I started to grow in my faith, I said, wow, (laughs) wow. (laughs) Like I felt like finally a daddy's girl. Yeah, that's awesome because I always felt called to be in church, to be there in the house of the Lord, to be around believers. Um, And with that real supernatural coming to Christ experience of feeling the Holy Spirit's physical touch, the Lord has never felt far from me. Um, The way I pray, I pray to God, like he's sitting here with me. We're having a conversation. Um, I know a lot of people, and it's not wrong, but they pray like, dear God, like they're sending a letter to someone far away. And I've never understood that because my God, my father is not far from me. He's always right here with me. And he wants to hear from me and he wants to hear the good things that are happening and the sad things and the bad. He wants it all. I just have to open up and tell it and then be still and listen to what he has to say in return. Yeah. Well, this is all very intriguing to me. Um, I suppose many Christians probably look at the world this way, but especially as a minister of the gospel, as a preacher, as a pastor. Um, But again, I'm sure anybody who's a student of the word, we're always trying to understand the nature of God and to discover him as he is and to see why he allows what he allows and how he intervenes. Um, And this care that God has for fatherless children is something that um, is so dominant in the scriptures. I did a little word search of the word fatherless. And if you were to do that in your uh, ESV, for example, you would find the word fatherless used 42 times in the Bible. So it's frequently used. And even when the word fatherless is not used, the concept is still being pointed to and, and alluded to. And of course, before, before you came to Christ, before I came to Christ, or before he came to us, found us, it's probably a better way to say it. Um, but, bef- but before uh, our new birth experience, you know, we were, we were children of Satan. And that's no father. 
you know, that, that's dysfunction. Jesus certainly declared that his enemies were of their father, the devil. Uh, but that had to do with their nature, not anything to do with the fact that Satan was watching out for them. Um, you know, he is the epitome of, of the abusive father. So when we came to Christ, um, you know, for the first time, especially for you, um, you understood that um, by experience anyway, that, that nature of, of having a spiritual father who loves you and that, yes, you're a daddy's girl um, and how, how precious and special that is. Um, I want to pick out, Nicole, just a few uh, uh, passages from the list that I read yesterday um, concerning what the scriptures say about God being um, a defender of the fatherless or someone who cares about the fatherless. These really stand out above the rest of the passages to me. The first one's in Deuteronomy 10, verse 17 and 18, and I want to read this one verbatim. It says, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regards not persons nor takes reward. He does execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow and loves the stranger in giving him food and raiment. So here is uh, God describing himself through the pen of the great prophet Moses, and he's describing himself really in hard terms, in harsh terms, in rigid terms. I'm the God of all gods, the Lord of, our, of all lords. I'm great. I'm mighty. I'm terrible. Uh, you can't uh, manipulate me. You can't buy me off. And it doesn't matter who you are. I, I will judge you based upon who you are. Um, that's all really rigid. And then he contrasts that with the God who defends the fatherless. I mean, that's the first thing he chooses to say in this, in this contrasting description of himself. And of course, that's echoed in, in Psalm 68, verse 5, where the Spirit inspired a description of, him, of himself as a father, excuse me, as a father of the fatherless and judge of the widows. And this is who God is in his holy habitation. So, there are plenty of names for God in the Bible. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is love. There's tons, you know, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. There's tons of descriptions. But more than once, he chose as, as his moniker, as the label for him to put on his name tag, Father of the Fatherless. This is who I am. And that is, um, that is a powerful truth, uh, especially for you as you think about growing up without a father to care for you, um, that God would say, well, I am the father of those who are fatherless. That's who I am is, is incredibly precious. And of course he, he teaches us the importance of caring for the fatherless in other passages, Deuteronomy chapter 14. Uh, we find that the fatherless were among the recipients of the tithe. Now, Nicole, I did not know that until this study, that among other things that they could uh, use their tithe to do, they could bring the fatherless in and share their, their tithe money, their tithe meal, their tithe sacrifice, uh, their tithe celebration with the fatherless. And that was considered acceptable as if they were giving it directly to God. It's like God saying, well, you're giving it to my kids 
that counts. Um, pretty incredible. It was it was an act of worship to care for the fatherless uh, under Moses's law. And um, Deuteronomy chapter 24, it was a command in the law of Moses to treat the fatherless ethically and fairly in business. It was um, a crime um, to mistreat or to somehow um, take advantage of, of, of an orphan or of someone who was fatherless under Moses's law. And that's all Old Testament. You get to the New Testament and you have this um, I don't know, quintessential description of true religion in James chapter one. And again, God could say anything he wants to. And the, I want you listeners to think about this. And Nicole, I want you to think about this. Nobody tells God what to say. He says what he wants to say. So he's describing real religion, the one that's based upon a real relationship, right? True religion, pure religion. And he, he says, basically, I choose to define this by how people treat the fatherless. He says, pure religion, undefiled religion before God and the father is this. And the first thing he says is to visit the fatherless, to care for the fatherless and the widows. Now, he also talks about being holy. I don't want to discount all that, but he starts with this. He could have chosen anything. There's 10,000 good things that we could say, well, you should do this in life. You know, he chose that as like ground zero for how to uh, live a life of faith that is pleasing to God and that reflects God's nature to care for the fatherless. And that's that's just incredibly powerful to me. Um I, I grew up without a grandfather, but I grew up with a, with a great father. I have nothing but positive things to say about uh, God's gift to me with the father that I grew up with. Uh, I can't imagine what it would be like to grow up um, without a father. So based upon this uh, little study that I did and just the meditation that I did and, and uh, the realization that God has chosen this as so central to describing his nature, and he is God the Father. Um, I, I want I want some some answers from you based on your experience. So feel free to pass on any of these questions. Uh, if there if there's something you're like, yeah, I really don't have anything to say about that, uh, then I've got no problem with that. But um, I'm guessing that there's going to be some listeners who either grew up without a father, or maybe worse. And I don't know that I have the right to say that, but growing up with an abusive father, which could be, I suppose, worse than growing up with no father. Um, was there a time when you looked around as a little girl and evaluated your situation and, and you just came to this realization, oh, I guess I don't get a daddy. Now, I know you said there were a lot of dysfunctional families and broken homes and single parent homes in Baltimore where you grew up, but can you think back and, and recognize a place where you were like, well, I guess this is my lot in life. Well, yeah, because when I was young, like I said, I, I wanted to be that daddy's girl and I just wasn't. Um, you know, my stepfather, uh, my sister's father, of course, she was daddy's girl um, because he was she was his and I wasn't. Um. So that kind of hurt. Um, 
you know, but I was like, okay, that's, that's just the way it's going to be. Um, so, but like I said, when I accepted Christ and I started growing in my faith, I was like, okay, you know what? My earthly father does not matter. Doesn't matter because I have the ultimate father. I have a father that will care for me like no other. That will always put my needs above his that sent his son to die for me. And if it had just been me, Christ still would have died for just me. I think as a parent, would I ever send my son to die for someone else's sins? Never. I could never do that. But yet God did that for me. So I have the ultimate father. Early in our marriage, uh, he had asked me, he said, how do you not have daddy issues? Um, Because, of course, he knew all my background and everything. And I said, you know, I don't have daddy issues because I have a daddy. I have an ultimate daddy. And like I said, building that relationship, the closer I, I went to God, the more I did feel like that daddy's girl. And I wasn't lacking. I didn't feel like at that point I was no longer lacking or needing that. Um, I did um, actually have a conversation with my biological father when my grandfather passed away. I was 23 years old. And he said, what do you want from me? And I said, I don't want or need anything from you. I've lived 23 years of my life without you and I can continue to go on without you. If you want to get to know me, I'm open and I'm willing um, to start trying to have some sort of relationship. And if you don't, that's okay too. Well, one of the things I want to say to um, to the listeners, when a little girl, whether it's Nicole or, or any other little, little girl or boy for that matter, uh, has that point of realization, I guess I won't get a daddy, you know, as, as a young person. That pain, that, that heartbreak, that frustration, and I'm not even sure what group of words would properly fit with that, is something that God understands and that he feels and that he cares about. Um, if you think about the story of Hagar mm-hmm. and Ishmael, when um, they were actually driven away twice from Abraham's house. Um, but when, when they were driven out, little, little Ishmael was fatherless, at least in, in that setting uh, and in, in, um, in evaluating his future, it looked like, well, he's fatherless, you know, and Hagar certainly viewed it that way. Um, and God cared and he intervened, you know, despite the fact that Ishmael actually had a very dark future ahead of him. And certainly his descendants had a very dark future. Um, God still was touched by his situation and he cared. And not only did God care for you, but you experienced that 
as you grew up, you began to sense his care and to, to know it experientially. And that's incredibly powerful. And it's not just a feel good salve that, you know, we emotionally put on uh, some situation to try to assuage the grief. It's a real thing. And uh, absolutely a real thing. Yeah. That's so precious. Now here's something that I've been taught and I've heard and, and I believe it because I've actually seen it in my own experience. Um, it's been said that people get their idea of what God is like from their experience with their earthly father, or that at least many people do. So if their earthly father is a pushover, then they think God's a pushover. If their earthly father is a bully, then they think God's a bully and so on and so forth. Do you think your situation impacted your view of God um, and your, your relationship with him? I mean, ultimately it, it had to impact it because he filled in a hole that you didn't, you know, that, that, um, that needed to be filled. But uh, where did you get your idea of what God is like since you really didn't have a human father to, to, to illustrate that for you? So, like I said, I kind of grew up in church. I wanted to be there. And even though in those young ages, not knowing Jesus and having that personal relationship, I still knew that God was love. Um, I just felt it and I knew that God loved me and I knew that God cared for me, even though I didn't understand at that time being, you know, from five to 14, not really understanding quite how much he actually loved me, um, or knowing how to have a relationship, a real relationship with him. But I just, I knew, like in my heart, I knew that God was love and God loved me. And growing up and again, just being a parent now, seeing like, wow, okay, God really is our father. He punishes us when we're naughty. (laughs) You know, he embraces us when we're sad. He celebrates with us in our times of celebration, he is our parent in every sense, in every sense. That's awesome. I want to dig down a little further. You've already addressed this, but I want to use some very specific words here. Um, Has there ever been a time I I understand that overall you kind of accepted your plight and God filled in that, that gap. And I, I think that's marvelous, but I think that's, at at least possibly a broad view. In other words, you're far removed. You're looking back and you're evaluating huge chunks of time, perhaps, um, and and where you have settled. Uh, But was there ever a time where you struggled with bitterness and frustration and disappointment because you didn't have an earthly father to care for you and watch out for you? And did you ever hate your biological father and feel anger anger toward him because he failed you? Because you felt like he failed you. I definitely had disappointment, um, disappointment, sadness that seeing my sister with her father and knowing that we would never have that same connection. Um, 
and that I would never have that kind of connection with my biological father. There was sadness, deep sadness and disappointment that he could just not care about me in any way. Um, Hatred, not really. Anger, yes, very much so. Um, Because I did try to reach out to him when I was 13. And I was telling you you this, I, I was trying to find him. I found my grandfather. And my grandfather was overjoyed um, to, to have me in his life. And I built a relationship with him and stayed very close to him until he passed. Um, But he gave me my, my father's address. I sent him a letter um, and pictures and just basically telling him about me, how old I was, what grade I was in, the things that were going on in school and, you know, um, how I would like to meet him. And I left my phone number and I was 13 years old. He called me. First of all, I'm a 13 year old and he calls me 10 o'clock at night. (laughs) This tells you he's just so far removed. He just, and he goes on to tell me that he is not my father, that my mother was a whore and I'm not, I'm not his. Who tells a 13 year old that? Um, whether it was true or not, didn't matter. You don't say those things to a 13 year old child. I have a 15 year old and I would never even say those things to my 15 year old. Um, so yeah, there was some anger, real anger there. Um, I tried again at 16, went to his home and he opened the door and he said, if you want to speak to me, talk to my lawyer and slam the door in my face. And I think about those days and how, how hurt I was. But yeah, anger, real anger, to say the least. Um, but he doesn't know Jesus. He's not saved. And I, you know, as an adult now, as a believer, I understand that I can't expect him to act like a saved person because he just doesn't know Jesus. Um, And I do pray for him that one day he will come to Christ. Yeah. Um, I have forgiven him. I do randomly occasionally speak to him. We don't have a great relationship, but I do. We're on Facebook. We like pictures of each other's and chat a little bit through there, but not much. Um, I had a brother. I did have a relationship with my brother after I met him, Um, but he has passed away. He passed away about six years ago and he's a year younger than me. Just very tragic loss of life. Um, But there is forgiveness and I can always forgive him because he knows not what he does. He really just doesn't understand hurt and pain and anger that he had caused me. But, but having Christ at such a pivotal point in my growing up as a teenage girl, that was, I think, key for me 
because I wasn't seeking love from other men, boys. I wasn't seeking that attention that I wasn't getting at home. Right. Um, I feel that girls that grow up in broken homes without that fatherly love do seek it from other means. Yeah. And it's, (laughs) it's dangerous. It's, It's dangerous and they will never get it. They'll never achieve it that way. So Jesus saved you in more way than one, more ways than one. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the next question I was going to ask was about um, whether you were, whether you had, uh, you know, found um, something driving you to forgive him or not. That's always amazed me. And I've heard that testimony so many times of people who say they've, you know, they were abused by their, their father, abandoned by their father, and yet they have forgiven um, and that's an incredible, um, and, and powerful truth to me. Um, and I don't, I don't believe from what you've said or from the other testimonies that I've heard that the forgiveness was offered naively. I believe it was offered and, and given with eyes wide open, realizing just how detrimental that, um, failure of that father had been. Um, but as you pointed out, um, you know, he doesn't know Christ. And uh, I've also spoken to people who, who can't forgive and who are eaten up with sorrow and bitterness and anger and frustration and who blame God for their difficult upbringing. And I haven't heard anything from you uh, of that nature as if, you know, God failed me because he didn't give me a good father. All I've heard you say is God stepped in and rescued me and became my father. And uh, it's just such a contrast um, of, uh, of attitudes. And uh, I rejoice that God, through his spirit and his word, has produced that in you. It's a yeah. glorious truth. And me forgiving him really had nothing to do with him. Right. I had to forgive him for myself. Yeah, they say bitterness destroys the vessel that holds it, right? Right. It, it was not for him, and he never sought it. He never came to me and apologized or asked for forgiveness. But it was one of those things that in my heart, I knew I had to grant him that forgiveness even without having that conversation with him. Right. Um, I had to let it go because... I, I just didn't need that and over me. Like I said, he was never there as a father and that was okay because I did have a father, right. you know? Um, and, and God blessed me. Like he just blessed me in so many ways. He brought me Danny um, just at a very young age, just getting ready to turn 22. We got married a month before my 22nd birthday. And there were just, I I was free from any of that baggage that comes from seeking that father figure from my spouse. And so he also didn't have to feel like being that father figure. I think that we didn't have that expectation coming into our marriage, which really in the long run help to grow our marriage. I want to talk to you about um, 
value and worth and uh, our sense of our place in the world. Um, I've certainly seen some children uh, who were, n- were not reared with, with any um, stability and without any care. Um, I've seen many who, who did not have any sense of their value and worth, that they had any value at all, um, but they clearly craved it and, and that they had no place in life. And some of them have even taken their life as a result of that tragic um, uh, lack of uh, anchor, I guess you could say, uh, for them. And I think back to my childhood, and I'm, I'm no um, example for anybody to follow, but um, there were so many different factors that, that made my life stable but it certainly included my father's perspective of me. Uh, even though I was one of, one of eight children, I recognized that to him, I was valuable. To him, I had worth and that I had a place. I don't believe that's sufficient. I think we have to find it in Christ. We have to find uh, God's description for us. And, and, um, and that can certainly cover you know, a great chasm and gap that may be left elsewhere. Um, but what, was there ever a time when you struggled with that and would you, would you attribute it to a lack of having a father or do you feel like your mother and God, um, put the structures that you needed in place or were you just born strong and tough? <laughs> um, a little bit of both or a little bit of all of it. Um, yes, I'm a very independent, strong, striving person. Um, I never settle, you know? Um, so if there's something to learn, I'm going to learn it. Um, if there's something I can do better, I'm going to strive to do it better. Um, not because I want to be better than someone else. I just want to be a better me tomorrow than I am today. Right. I, I, I strive and I just had a conversation. I have been blessed within this church to find girlfriends, real true sisters in Christ. And we had um, this really deep conversation um, this past weekend about how we can be better friends to each other. Um, what could we do? Um to be better friends. Um, just because I feel like I can always be better. I can always be improving my friendships, my relationships, you know, how I mother my children, how uh, as a wife to my husband, um, as a daughter to Christ, you know, to, to God, I can always be better. Um, growing up, my household was very abusive and very dysfunctional. My, my mother grew up in a very alcoholic, abusive family. And when she would have fits of anger, even just talk, things like talking back, kids talk back. There was no grace. There was just back slap across the face. Um, you know, we had really long hair. It was grabbing us by the hair of the head and throwing us into a wall. Um, 
but that's all she knew. She didn't know grace or mercy or comfort or love really. Um, so she didn't know how to, to give that. But on the flip side, when we weren't in those times, um, you know, she would tell you, oh, you're important. You know, um, you're smart. You know, you can, you can learn this stuff. You know, you can be one of the first people in our family to graduate high school because you're smart. So I did have worth, but when we were times when her and my stepfather, my sister's father were together, that dynamic never worked. And it was very dysfunctional. And I felt I'm a peacemaker in a way. And I was always trying to make the peace and stop the fighting. And I felt like it was my fault. Um, and, and that did give me a sense of worthlessness. I remember I was eight years old and found some pills and I was going to swallow these pills because I couldn't take it anymore. Mm. And I stopped and I, I recognize now that it was the Holy Spirit stopping me. Um, of course, I didn't know then because I, he knew you're going to be mine and I need you here because I have better things for you. But I, did, I didn't know at that time that that's what he was, you know, what was going on. But I just sat and I sobbed. And that's why I say when he left, I wasn't broken over that. I was relieved mm -hmm. over that because it did bring a little bit of even now I was being raised by a single mother and we all the struggles that come with being a single parent. Our life was much more calm. It was it was better. Right. Um, and there was forgiveness in that as well. Um, my mother and I have had some very deep conversations into my adulthood and just, she sought forgiveness. Right. And she says, I know what I did to you. I just didn't know any better. And she asked for that forgiveness. Mm. And I freely gave it to her because I love my mother. Right. And I know that she just didn't know any better. Um, and we have a, a fantastic relationship. Yeah, we bicker and fight, you know, it's mother-daughter stuff, you know. But I truly and deeply love my mother. Yeah. Um, I don't hold any of that against her in any way. Because um, she did the best she could, given her circumstances. Right. Um, and she also did not have a loving father. She had an alcoholic father, an abusive father who took his life when she was 16 years old. Um, so it's just these cycles that happen. Yeah. Yep. These just abusive and dysfunctional cycles. Yep. And I guess I look at that now and I see like it's generational curses. And I feel very blessed that I have, I feel as though I have broken those cycles within my household and in my life. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you're definitely a survivor and, uh, and exceptional, um, in that, you know, so many people don't escape from that vicious cycle. They just keep repeating it and then their children repeat it. And, uh, so thankful that God has, uh, has delivered, delivered you from that. 
You mentioned your grandfather, once you got to know him, that you had a great relationship. How old were you when you, when you got connected with him? I was 13. Okay. Were, um, were there any other men other than him that God used in your life to, to model kindness and, uh, and gentleness and care and security and things? Yes, I was very blessed on the grandfather department. Um, my mother's stepfather, my grandmother remarried after my mother's father committed suicide. And now I, I have heard the stories of the dysfunction and all of that, even within that marriage. But by the time I was old enough to know who he was, he was a different person than those days. And he did. He just, with his whole heart, loved me. <laughs> like, just thinking about that makes me sad because I miss him so much. But we had special songs we sang to each other. Um, he had his pet names for me. I was his Nikki Poo. And um, yes, there was a deep love between the two of us. Hmm. And what, a, what an encouragement and a challenge to those uh, who are listeners who have children um, or someday if you're younger and you do have children, or if your children are grown up and, and you have the, the opportunity to, to speak in, into somebody's life who's young, that it makes a difference. You know, it really does. And our failures can certainly set people on horrible paths. Uh, we got to be careful how we treat children. And uh, I'm, for, I'm all for discipline and all that kind of thing, but every child is made in the image of God. And everybody is to be treated with respect. Everybody from the time they're small, they're to be treated with respect. And um, I'm thankful that God did put a few people in your life um, who could model his kindness. You know, we, we, um, <laughs> we know that Jesus by his spirit lives in us, but as uh, I've heard it said many times, sometimes we need Jesus to have skin on him. And, um, and God puts people in our lives to show his love. Uh, to us and we get to see his care through them and I'm, I'm glad that he gave you a few people like that yeah I, I I definitely have been through some things but I have definitely been blessed and you know all through my life there's been someone there um that I could turn to as a physical person um for those um because I one of my love languages is touch, physical touch. So I look back and there's always been someone there for me to embrace. Um, because during some of those hard times, I just want to be held. I, that is how I feel love. Just, just those embraces. Um, and those who know me know I am a hugger. <laughs> Apparently Jesus was too, because, you know, the story of John leaning on his chest as they were, you know, eating the meal together. So evidently Jesus was a touchy feely person too. That's pretty awesome. Uh, do you have any advice? I mean, I, I don't know that either one of us are an expert at, at anything except you're an expert at um, cooking cupcakes. I know that, but uh, just based upon your experience, it, anyone who's listening who might fall under the labor under the label, under that label, fatherless, is there something else that God has uh, used to help you accept your situation that you might uh, think would be helpful to someone else? Just seek the Lord, seek the Lord, especially for these young girls, broken, growing up in broken homes, 
seek the Lord because he will provide you with what's missing. The world isn't going to provide it. That boyfriend isn't going to provide it. It's going to leave you feeling more broken, more used, more abused. Um, It's not going to provide that love and security that you're lacking from not having that father figure, but the Lord will provide that. And I know that because that is my truth. I just, my personal experience, I know without a doubt that the Lord will provide that. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never walk away. Um, he'll, he'll never pass away, you know? Um, so there's nobody as reliable as him. Well, again, I guess my main takeaway is just for all of you who are out there who have any impact at all in the lives of any children, speak a kind word. Imagine growing up without having someone say, I love you. So I'm not saying you got to say those things all the time, but be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And to, to tell a kid, you know, I admire you or I appreciate you or I'm proud of you or you're really doing a great job at that. Not just on a one-time occasion, but especially if there's something they're good at to tell them, you know, you're really good at that. Uh, and make sure it's something that's true that they won't grow up and realize they were being lied to. Um, but man, those things can just carry a kid a long, long way. And so I think young people really need those words of affirmation. Yeah. They need it. And as a parent, I would say to other parents, hug your kids. Even if you're not a touchy feely, huggy person, hug your children because they, they need that too. Um, My son, he is 15 years old and he is the huggiest kid you will ever meet. (laughs) He just mama, I need a hug. And he just hugs on me. And I'm like, how many 15 year olds do you know that just still want to hug their mamas? And I just love that. I love that heart. Um, and that love, you know, for his, for his mama and his, and his daddy. And that is one thing I knew that I wanted my children to know without a doubt is that they are wanted and that they are loved. Yes wanted that's great that's great now you have to look up to him now right it's he, told I do. Us. He, is, <laughs> he is almost five five so yeah <laughs> he he never you know he always comes in and looks down at me like hey down there mama <laughs> right. i said he's never too big for me to spank his butt though <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose even to this day, if my mom said, go get me a hickory, you deserve a spanking, I'd walk right out there and get it. (laughs) (laughs) But we have learned to show our children a lot of grace, too. Like, they're just kids, and they're still learning, and they're still growing in the Lord. And so, yeah, show your children grace and just show them love. They'll figure it out. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I don't think there's anything else that I have to ask. Anything else you want to add? No. All right. I think we pretty much covered it all. All right. 
have a relationship with Jesus, it's the best thing you can do. Yep. No substitute. All right. Well, I guess that about does it. Thank you, Nicole. It's been a pleasure talking with you on this difficult topic. Appreciate your transparency and just kind of bearing your soul and telling us what you've been through. And, um, you know, one of the things that you get from hearing people's testimony is you understand where they're coming from. You know, um, when I get up and, and start preaching and, and get all, uh, you know, pushy and, and uh, demanding and so forth, which is not my, my normal nature in life. But uh, if you know my story, if you know where I came from and the, the kind of churches that I grew up in and the things that I was taught, and you're like, oh, okay, well, I see why he's doing it that way. And it can, it can help you to, uh, uh, you know, accept people based upon their experience. And so not just your story, but all the different stories we've heard, it's, it's uh, so beneficial for us to get to know each other in more intimate ways and uh, we can love each other so much better with that. That is, that is so true. And one thing that the Lord placed on my heart and Danny's heart is uh, we open our home up on Saturdays, most Saturdays for dinner um, for our, for our church family and anyone that they want to bring. It's so important to get to know the people within your congregation on a more personal level, other than, Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. You, you really don't know them. No, it's been a blessing to just connect with some of the men and women and, and even the children um, in our congregation and just really get to know them on a personal level and know their stories and just love on them. It really, it really brings you together as a church family. Yep. It makes a huge difference. Jesus said by this, shall men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another, but you don't love people that you don't know. Um, you just can't, it's, uh, you, you have to get to know them in order to truly love them. You might have a general disposition of favor towards them, but, uh, you know, we have a small group in our home on Thursday nights and we had four couples there last night and I was just stunned at how they totally let their guard down emotionally, uh, and just let you peer all the way into, to their real experience. And, uh, it allows you to care for people so much deep, more deeply when you know what's going on. Uh, in their life and, and their fragility and so forth. It really, it really is. And it's just, it's such a blessing to really just open up and allow yourself to be vulnerable with people. Um, at our dinners, we have anywhere between five and 25. Um, we've had anywhere from my four kids to my four kids and 15 other kids. It gets <laughs> really crazy sometimes, but we wouldn't have it any other way. We just, we love it. And we love the relationships that are being built there. Yeah. Like I said, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, but that means that we need to have those relationships like brothers and sisters. Yeah. Um, and I can see that just really happening within the people that come to these dinners and the people that we get to know on very personal levels. They do feel very much like our brothers and sisters. That's cool. Well, hopefully this podcast will contribute in just a small way to advancing that purpose. So that's awesome. 
Well, to our listeners, no matter which platform you're listening to this podcast on, be sure to let others know about it and listen to other episodes as well. Um, still so proud of Danny. He says he's listened to all the episodes. He's caught up completely. So he's probably the only one except me. Uh, I'm pretty sure Patrick doesn't even listen to all of them, but uh, appreciate so much Danny's willingness to do that. Uh, to our listeners, like, share, subscribe, comment, review, etc. That certainly helps this thing to grow uh, organically without us spending advertising dollars. And uh, so if you got a blessing from it, I'm sure somebody else will as well. God bless you all and hope you'll listen again next time. Thank you, Nicole. You're welcome. figure out how to shut this thing down. Hang on just a second. Oh, my wife says, I've listened to all of them. <laughs> Danny and Tanya.